Jack Grapple is a, a leadership guru. He works for the J&J, Johnson & Johnson Human Performance Institute just outside of Orlando, Florida. It's located in a swampland. He does leadership training for people who are leaders in different organizations. And he was training a group of NFL linebackers on one occasion. Now, you know, if the quarterback is head of the offense, the linebacker is usually head of the defense. He's like the quarterback for the defense. And so some of these linebackers were going through his leadership training class. And in one occasion, one of their um, um, exercises was they were to jog across this area out in the woods to this white fence at the edge of the property. There was a white flag out there. They were to retrieve that white flag and bring it back to the headquarters. So here's these big, rough, tough NFL linebackers, fierce guys, most feared guys in, in the NFL. And they're hiking across this property. But there was an obstacle. They were told before they left that they had spotted wild, a wild boar hog out in the swampland that day. And they might encounter this wild hog and that they needed to be careful. Remember, they have razor-sharp teeth. And so these linebackers are jogging along. There was a cameraman hiding in the woods. There really wasn't a hog. But he made the sound of rustling noise in the woods and grunted like a hog. As you might guess, when they heard that noise, these linebackers turned like little kids and ran away. Now, I'll tell you that to tell you this. On another occasion, Jack Gropple had a group of CIA operatives, same scenario, and when they went to the woods, when they heard the rustling, what they did was get into a combat stance. They were ready to fight. They were ready to assess the situation. They were ready to overcome the obstacle. You know, we're all going to face obstacles in this life. No matter what you do, no matter what you go through, there are going to be obstacles that you're going to have to face. And how you respond can determine whether you achieve the goal. What are we going to be? Are we going to be like the linebackers? And we're going to turn and run? Or are we going to be like the CIA operatives? Are we going to get in a stance? And are we going to prepare ourselves to face the obstacles that we come across as we go through life? We're in this series called Restore, and we're talking about uh, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, and how Nehemiah went to Jerusalem to restore that city. He faced a lot of obstacles, and we've seen as we've gone through this series, you know, the different messages that we've brought, how he realized the problem, he reviewed the need, he refocused the people, he remembered the presence of God, and today we're going to think about how you react to the obstacles. And Nehemiah had some obstacles to face as he went through this process of restoring Jerusalem. You know, how will we uh, restore, uh, how will we respond and react when we have something to restore? We've said through this series, since COVID, there are a lot of things that need restoring. You know, some people's jobs, some people's businesses, for some people, it's families. For some, it's their health. 
For some, it's the church. And, you know, we, we think about the church. The church everywhere is down since COVID. And we have to work to restore it. So the question we raise today is how do we react to obstacles during the, during the restoration process? What is it we do? You know, we will face obstacles. Anytime you face something, you know, that's worthwhile doing, there are going to be some obstacles that you have to cross to get through that. And we've seen how Nehemiah already had dealings with countries around Judah that were going to come against him, even attack Jerusalem to prevent them from restoring that city. Go with me to Nehemiah chapter 5 today. I hope you've been keeping up with the reading plan. If you have, you know that today we're supposed to read chapter 5, verse 1, all the way through chapter 6, verse 14. There's an uh, outline of the message on the back of your bulletin. You can turn there with some fill-in-the-blanks. And we learned last week that they had built that wall up to half of its normal height, and they were continuing to work. But they had to work with weapons in their hands because there were people that were coming against them that wanted to stop them from building. Now, what else can go wrong? You might think, well, isn't that enough? But there were other obstacles that they had to face now. Look with me in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1. Now, the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during this famine. There was a famine in the land. And so they were, they were without food. They, they needed help. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king to king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we, are now subject, we have now had to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. You see the situation they're in. And sometimes when you're in uh, uh, a restoring project, you're going to face internal obstacles. So what do we do when we face internal obstacles? You know the old saying, anything can go wrong, will go wrong. And things are going to happen. There's, nothing, there's no way to prepare for what you don't know is going to go wrong. And things will go wrong. So look at what Nehemiah did and how he faced this situation. Verse 6. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind, and then accused the nobles and officials, and I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them, and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could, find no, uh, they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what are you doing? What you are doing is not right. So you walk in fear of our God and avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies. 
and my brothers and my men are also lending to the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. <clears throat> then I summoned the priest and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. So I took out the folds of my robe and said, In this way may God shake out their house and possessions to anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and empty. At this the whole assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord, and the people did as they promised. Now, I want you to think about something. This is largely written to people in leadership. Now, if you're restoring something, you're the leader of that. And so this will come to you. And if you're going to help restore God's church back to where it was pre-COVID, you, you probably have some kind of leadership role in this. So take this to heart. And the first thing I want you to see that Nehemiah did was he listened to complaints from the internal things that were going on. It says, Nehemiah heard their cry and their complaint. I want to tell you something. He did more than heard it. He listened to it. Now, there's a difference between hearing and listening. Now, hearing just has to do with the sounds coming into your ears. Eddie Barker was a hearing specialist for many years. He knows the difference between hearing and listening. When you listen, you listen for content. You listen to think about what is being said, and you're analyzing what is being said. Along the way, when you're restoring something, there's always going to be some complaint that's going to come up. And so you have to think about that. You have to think about, is this complaint legitimate, or is it not legitimate? I'll tell you, some years ago at another church that I was at, the elders had made some decisions to change some things in the church before I ever came to the church. And they had told the people why they were doing this and what they were doing. After I came to the church, the, uh, uh, there was a small group of people in one of the Sunday school classes wrote a letter back to the elders about some of those things they didn't like. And, and they said, at the end of that letter, we feel like you're not listening to us because you don't change these things back. The elders and I met, and the elders said, write a letter to them and tell them they are not listening to us. We've already addressed these things. We've already told them why we did what we did, and we're not changing back. It's not that we don't, are not listening to them, we don't agree with them, and we're not going to change back to what they want to change. You see, the elders were listening. They just didn't agree. Sometimes a complaint is not legitimate. But look at Nehemiah. Determine the legitimacy of the complaint. It says Nehemiah pondered. He thought about it. He thought, is this something we need to listen to? And it made him angry. You know, sometimes when people bring complaints, you get angry. Why are you complaining to me? That was not, he was not angry because they brought a complaint. He was angry because they had a legitimate complaint and the leaders should have never let this happen. And what was that complaint? You see, there was a famine in the land, which means there was a drought. 
And they lived in an agrarian society. They lived off the land. How do you live? You plant crops. You raise animals. Well, if you raise animals, you've got to have those crops to feed the animals. You've got to have those crops to feed your family. If you have a famine and a drought and you don't have the, the, the grain that you need to feed the animals or to trade for other food or to trade for your rent on your property or your house or whatever, you're in big trouble. And they were. So what do they do? Well, we have to borrow money from our leaders, but the leaders were charging them uh, interest. Now, we may say, what's wrong with that? It's only fair. You loan somebody money, you charge them a little interest. No, no, no. Not in the Jewish culture they lived in. The law, and we studied this in our Sunday school class this morning. The law of Moses said, if you lend to a Gentile, if you're Jewish, you can charge them interest. But you don't charge your own people interest. And they were charging their own people interest. That goes to show what we've been talking about through this series, that there were some spiritual issues among these people. You see, they weren't following the law of Moses, which they were still under the old covenant, and they should have been following that. So, Nehemiah knows this is true, and he goes back and he, and he knows that there needs to be some spiritual work done among the people. So what does he do? He calls the leaders together, reminds them of the law of Moses, and so what he did, he reacted appropriately. Now, you look at this and you see Nehemiah got angry, and some people say, isn't that a sin to get angry? The Bible does not say that. In Ephesians 4.26 it says, in your anger do not sin. Now, there's a difference between anger being a sin and sinning when you're angry. And if you start calling people names and punching them in the nose and, and attacking them, then yes, that might be a sin. But if you get angry and that anger motivates you to do the right thing, then there's no sin in that. And that's what happened to Nehemiah. Nehemiah began to look at the situation, and anger was a motivator for him, and he confronted the leaders and corrected the wrong. And immediately, when those leaders were called out, they recognized they were in the wrong, they repented, and they agreed to stop and give back what they had charged, and the problem was solved. I want you to notice something there, though. It says, even Nehemiah was somewhat in the wrong. So sometimes, leaders, we have to admit our mistakes. In verse 10, Nehemiah said, let us stop charging interest. Now, I don't know if that means, you know, Nehemiah said he was loaning money. I don't know if he was charging interest or he's just grouping himself with the leaders to say, look, guys, we, we together have got to stop charging this interest. We've got to do what the law of Moses said. And maybe he felt guilty because he was the main leader, he was the governor, and he allowed this practice to go on among the people. At any rate, they made a change. You know, leaders are going to make mistakes too. There's no perfect leader. And they are going to make mistakes. Now look at what happened verse 14. Moreover, from the 20th year King Artaxerxes, of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, 
until the 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on the wall. All of my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came from the surrounding nation. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, some poultry were prepared for me, and every ten days an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I demanded the food allotted to the... I did not, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, and all I have done for these people. So... The next thing I want you to see is leaders need to live sacrificially. And that's what Nehemiah was doing. You see, as a governor, he had a right to tax the people to cover his expenses. But he was not doing that. He was not, he was not charging all that he could. He's sort of bringing a side note in here to let, let us know. And we've got to realize he's writing 12 years after they were rebuilding the wall. He's recounting what happened to see for future generations can see how this took place. You know, Nehemiah was governor of Judea twice. This first time for 12 years, we're going to learn later on in the book that he came back and he was governor at another occasion and took care of some problems then as well. But as a governor, he was entitled for the people uh, to bring him tax money so he could provide. But what he was doing, he was providing not only for his men, he was providing for the other officials, he was providing, it said, for 150 Jewish workers, probably those helping to guard, those that were helping to build the wall, and he was doing that out of his own pocket. You know, many previous governors had thrown lavish parties and, and overspent and overcharged people, not me and my. Nehemiah was living a sacrificial life. And we've already learned that when the people were building the wall, he was out with his men and his officials helping to guard them while they worked when people were trying to attack. He sacrificed greatly. First to serve his God, and then to serve the people of God, and to help them restore the city. You know, he was what you'd call a hands-on governor. He was out there working. That's probably why the people followed him so well. And he was able to motivate them. The work is hard. You know, when you enter a restoring project, it's going to be hard. Our leaders, they're going to work hard this year. You know, we've been talking to you about a vote that we had in our board last Sunday. And we have decided to hire the church consultant that we were talking about. And he's going to come in and he's going to push us hard because we've got some things and decisions that we need to make. And he's going to help guide us through that. He's going to be that outside set of eyes to come in and give us some ideas and help us think through. But we're the ones that are going to come up with the plan, not him. 
we're going to be in meetings. There'll be Zoom meetings. There'll be in-person meetings. In fact, we're even going to have him speak one Sunday uh, and come and, uh, and address our congregation and talk to you about some of what he's, he's, he's going to be doing with us. You know, Nehemiah reacted to the problems, and he was able to solve the internal problems that he had. But that's not the only problems he had. There were problems, more problems, from the outside that he faced. So what do we do when we face external obstacles? You know, usually any restoration project is going to have some problems, both inside and outside. So look at what happened next, chapter 6, verse 1. When word came to Sambalot, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sambalot and Geshem sent me this message. Come to meet together. Let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent the messengers to them to reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sambalot sent his aide to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which it was written. It, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent them a reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. So we're going to face these outside obstacles. First thing we learn, don't get distracted by illegitimate voices. You know, these, these guys, these leaders from outside countries, they, they weren't in this fight. They don't have a dog in this fight. You know, Nehemiah was laid on his heart by God to go restore Jerusalem. Nehemiah went to the king. He got letters to go and authorizing him to be the governor and to restore the city of Jerusalem. And he went to the people, and the people responded there in Jerusalem, and they were helping him. That's the only people that needed to be involved in this. They didn't need those outside voices. And you know, anytime you start trying to restore something, there are going to be people on the outside. Some will be jealous. Some will, will want to take you down. Some will try everything. I remember one time Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. Now some people might say, well, I just want to be on neutral ground. Jesus didn't give us that option. He said either you're with me or you're against me. There's no neutral ground. And if we're not on the Lord's side, then we're on the wrong side. You know, I remember Abraham Lincoln, uh, during the Civil War, somebody came to him and said, Mr. Lincoln, do you think God is on the Union side? 
And Abraham Lincoln said, no, I don't know which side God's on. All I care about is I want to make sure I'm on God's side. And that's what we need to do. We need to make sure we're on God's side as we go through a restoration project. You know, Satan is always going to come in and try to distract you. Look at what those guys did. They sent him a letter and said, Hey, you know what? If you don't come meet with us, we're going to lie to the king. We're going to send a, a letter to the king telling him a lie, telling him that, that you're wanting to make yourself king. And Nehemiah said, yeah, there's nothing further from the truth. That's the way Satan operates. You know what Jesus said about Satan? Listen to this from John 8, 44. He is a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a liar and the father of lies. Y'all know how to tell when the Satan's lying? His lips are moving. Okay? And that's what's going on here. These guys were against God's people. And they were even willing to lie about them. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to distract Nehemiah and take him off a mission to get him to do the wrong thing. You know, we are so distracted in our world today. There's a video, I think it comes from America's Funniest Home Videos, about a wedding in a church. And the video camera is looking down the aisle, and there's a couple up front getting married, doing their vows. And during the middle of their vows, this guy jumps up out of his seats and says, Yes! 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 Turns out, he had his headphones on and he was listening to the Alabama-Auburn game and his team scored a touchdown. He was so distracted, he jumped up in the middle of a wedding now to do that. You know, we can get distracted by all kinds of stuff and it can take us off the Lord's mission. In fact, some have allowed COVID to distract them. Listen, you, you go back to the end of 2019, our church was averaging... 256 people every Sunday. In the first nine weeks of, of 2020, before COVID hit, we were averaging 271 people every Sunday. Come to the end of 2021, we averaged 150 in our church. You see how distracted we got? Now, a lot of those people, COVID took a toll on a lot of our elderly. They're not able to get out anymore and come. But we've, some have gotten distracted. They've allowed COVID to distract them away from the church. And we need to regain that momentum. You know, before COVID, we were growing. We had visitors every week. We had people serving and helping. And this COVID thing has kind of taken us off mission. And we need to get back focused on our mission. And that leads us to the next part, is that we need to stay focused on God's priority. You know, a lot of our problem with staying focused is our attention span. I was reading this week, I didn't know this, but Microsoft did a study not too long ago about people's attention span. Back in 2000, what they found out is American people, generally speaking, have an attention span in 2000 of about 12 seconds. That's why when you watch a commercial, it's always changing. That's why they got digital billboards on the parkway now. So it's always changing because they can only hold your attention for about 12 seconds. 
But they did another study in 2015 and it found that number had dropped to eight seconds. So they can, they can keep our attention for about eight seconds. Now, they also did a study on goldfish. They can keep the attention of a goldfish for about nine seconds. So your attention span is less than that of a goldfish. You know what? I, I think that's true. And when you're standing up here preaching, you understand you have to do something to keep people's attention. And the fact that I've kept your attention for this long on this illustration, pat yourself on the back. You, you're doing pretty good. But you know, it's easy to get, get, get our attention taken off of what's priority. Nehemiah didn't let that happen. Why should, why should I take my time away, he said, to meet with you when I'm in the middle of a project for God? Listen, are we in the middle of a project for God? Are we trying to restore His church? Let's be careful about our priorities and don't let things take us off task. You know, four times they sent a letter, four times he sent a response. Finally, he just, he just you know, went out there and sent a response back. But you know, people, they, they, your priorities get crazy. Listen, I heard of, there's a cruise ship. The captain of that ship was Ronald Warwick, and it's the Queen Elizabeth II. And if you take a cruise on the Queen Elizabeth II, this is a luxury cruise ship. Cruises on this ship are between $25,000 and $150,000 a person. So it's not just anybody gets to go on a cruise here. But there was one man and woman that had their dog with them, and they had to pay full price for the dog to travel on the cruise ship, at least $25,000. And the captain said to him, said, why in the world would you pay that kind of money to bring the dog on the cruise? Why didn't you just put him in a kennel? And the man said, because every time we leave the dog at home when we go away, the therapist's bill is more than the cost of the cruise. Now, I'm sorry. If you have to take your dog to a therapist, I think your priorities are kind of mixed up a little bit. Now, we love our dogs. But spending that kind of money on a dog, but that's the culture we live in today. So many priorities that people set that get ahead of God who is supposed to take first place in our life. Well, look at the last few verses, verse 10. One day I went to the house of Shemaniah, the son of Deliah, and son of Methatabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple. Let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this and then would, not give, would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalot, my God. Because of that, they all, uh, they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. 
You know, the last thing I want you to see here, well, not the last thing, but the next thing is stand firm in the truth. You know, Nehemiah never wavered. Despite all this stuff coming against him, he knew what the mission was. He knew the truth that God had called him to restore the city of Jerusalem, and he was going to work at that. And he was going to let that be his priority and his focus. And he was not going to stop until he was done. He knew that Shemaniah was, uh, you know, this guy was probably a priest. He had access to the temple. He was trying to distract Nehemiah and take him to the temple to hide out. He knew that he was the enemy or had been bribed in, by the enemy to intimidate him. But Nehemiah knew what God had called him to. He knew the truth and he trusted God and he stood firm in his mission to build that wall. Last thing I want you to see, always pray. Verse 14, we see Nehemiah prayed. He, remember, my God. Remember these men. He's praying out to God. And he's saying, don't let this stop us, God, from staying focused. You know, I talked in my sermon last week about praying for the dump. I hope some of you prayed for the dump last week. I was in, uh, I go to a men's Bible study at 6.30 on Wednesday morning and there's some guys from our church and guys from another church, uh, several churches that come. And one of the guys, Dennis Holbrook, said, let's remember to pray for the dump. He was at least one person heard my sermon. Uh, we had our small groups here. We started back on Wednesday night and here at the church and my small group. And there's a lady from first service. Her name is uh, Vicki Van Hall. And we were doing our prayer time in there. And she said, let's don't forget Mark's sermon. Let's pray for the dump. And we prayed for the dump in there. You know, we got to pray for things. We always have to remember to pray because there's going to be obstacles that we're going to face. Do we pray first or do we wait till we get in the middle of the obstacle and then we say, okay, I can't figure this out, God. I'm going to need your help now. We got to remember to pray no matter what we face. By the way, those life groups started Wednesday night. It's not too late to join. We had three groups. They, they, they were well attended, but we got plenty of room for more people. I want to invite you to come be part of a life group. A life group meets at, at 6.30 on, uh, on Wednesday night from 6.30 to 7.30. We have prayer time. We have fellowship. We, uh, we spend time reading and studying God's Word. Uh, some people show up a little early, bring a sack lunch and eat around 6 o'clock if you want to do that. Uh, there's a group that meets in the conference room. Uh, Dennis group meets in the willing workers classroom uh, Eddie and Kitty or meet in the fellowship hall and uh, so if you want to be part of one of those groups please show up we love to have more and more people come and be part of those groups well here's our connection our success in the restoration process will depend on dealing with obstacles in a way that glorifies God you look at this and you have to say Nehemiah glorified God in the way he handled both the internal obstacles and the external obstacles. And you know, the, the restoration of the church requires dealing with obstacles. So let's stay focused. Let's keep our priorities in front of us. Let's stand in God's truth. And let's pray together about that. Let me ask you, are you going to be like the linebacker? Are you just going to turn and run? Are you going to be like the CIA operative and you're going to take a stance 
And maybe that stance includes some knee time that we're praying to our God to help us as we seek to restore his church for the future, even beyond where it was before COVID. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for Nehemiah, man, for what a great example he was for the people of God. Man, he took this project on. He was devoted. He was dedicated. And he was not going to let anything threaten him and stop him from doing your work and your will. And I pray that you will help us to take that same attitude as we go forward. Lord, we know your church is vital to the community. And we pray that you help us as we seek to, Lord, regain and restore that momentum we had before COVID. And, Father, that you'll guide us and you'll direct us. And we'll be open to hearing the voices, especially your voice, as we go forward in what we do. In the strong and mighty name of Jesus, I pray and praise today. Amen.